Welcome to Chi Alpha at Texas Tech University. The messages in this podcast were designed to encourage you and to challenge you in your walk with Jesus. We're so excited that you're here, and we hope that this message will help you to better fight for God's kingdom with us. Live Dead is a call to plant churches among unreached people groups through teams. The heart of Live Dead is to respond to the challenge of access. We are responding in a very simple way. Planting churches among unreached peoples through teams. Teams are groups of people who live in the same city or village. And meet weekly to pray, evangelize, disciple, and plant churches together. We know that we are stronger together than we are apart. A Live Dead team is made up of people with a wide variety of skill sets and may include people from different organizations, generations, and ethno-linguistic groups. We work in partnership with national believers and the wider body of Christ. Churches are groups of local men and women who have abandoned their former way of life to follow Jesus. Some gather in church buildings, but most will meet secretly in houses. Churches are groups of believers committed to teaching and learning the Bible. Spending time with each other in Christian fellowship, to celebrating the Lord's Supper and baptism, and to a lifestyle of abiding in Jesus. Without a doubt, our world is covered with lost people. We don't have to look far to find someone who is lost and in need of the saving gospel that comes only through Jesus Christ. The Live Dead focus is on access to the gospel. We know of entire countries with fewer than 10 known believers. An unreached people group simply defined is an ethno-linguistic tribe or demographic that is less than 2% evangelical Christian. There are almost 3 billion people and approximately 7,000 people groups in the world today that are unreached. Of those nearly 7,000 people groups, around 3,000 of them are what we call unengaged. No local churches, no missionaries, and no teams resident and working towards church planting. Our goal in Live Dead is to respond to this great need to plant churches that multiply effectively in their own culture. Live Dead is currently active in training church planters and launching church planting teams in eight major regions. Africa, the Arab world, Silk Road, Iran, India, Origins, Russia, and China. In our world today, unreached people tend to be found in countries at war, inhospitable climates, dense cities, unstable governments, and in the midst of challenging security circumstances. In this new normal of instability, we are committed to living, and if needed, dying, among the unreached wherever they are found. Motivated by the love of God, we go where there are no churches and no Christians. We go where there is no gospel message and where Jesus is not glorified. We go for the single and uniting mission of the church. To bring glory to the name of Jesus among every tribe, nation, and tongue. That is why we live dead. Planting churches, unreached people groups, teams. What up, Texas Tech? Dude, it's good to be home, man. Right? It's good to be home. Hey, guys, uh, before we kick things off, I got a little gift for y'all. What? <clears throat> Check it out. Um, see this right here? 
Yeet! Uh, that's for Craig. Listen, got more coming. Um, this is the original Live Dead Journal. You know what I'm saying? OG, yeah, way back in the day. It's going to be one of y'all's tonight. I just got a question. Listen, smarter bleeders, I'm sorry. It's not for you, it's for your members. But how about this? If someone could please stand up. Not right now, Rob. In just a moment, as soon as I ask the question, please stand up and give an answer. First one to do it gets the journal, okay? Are y'all ready? Not a smarter bleeder or a resource leader or a staff member. I don't know what else I got to say here, guys. <clears throat> okay, you guys ready? What did you learn in small group last week? Nobody. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, how to cultivate joy. All right. Well done, well done, well done. What's up? You okay? Okay, guys. Thanks for that. That was great. Um, hey, listen, if you guys want more books, come see us. We'll get you some. Um, even if you're broke, we'll get it to you. Don't worry about it. All right. Let me just make a quick uh, introduction. My name's Cody. It's our, my wife, Kelly. She's pregnant with our second. It's a boy, Gideon. And our daughter, Hazel, she's almost two. She's in obviously in the nursery. So uh, we're the Millers. And we are... Yeah, I know. I get it every time, man. Every time. Now I know all you guys are sinners. Uh, anyway, we are missionaries to Israel. Um, no, not the Jews. The Druze, an unengaged Arab people group. D-R-U-Z-E. We'll explain that later. But uh, for right now, I just want to kind of jump in and tell you a little bit about myself. And then my wife will do the same about her. Um, I grew up in an atheistic home. Uh, first... First Christian in my family, and still as of now, but that's going to change soon. Praise God. Um, I grew up in an atheistic home, had an abusive father, then an abusive stepfather after he passed away. Uh, never set foot inside of a church, never opened a Bible until I got to Sam Houston State and joined Chi Alpha. Okay, cool. All right, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's whatever. It's okay. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Thank you. Um, why are you guys big man or something? All right, so... Um, Guys, I'm learning a little new lingo. All right, I need to, I need to stop talking. Okay, anyway, so uh, when I got to Sam Houston, um, some guys pursued me um, and just loved on me, and I just, I've never experienced anything that like in my life. I grew up in a very abusive home with this, like, overbearing father who would just, you know, just macho guy, like, oh, I'm tough, you know, whatever. So when these guys showed love, it was just incredible to me. So anyway, the Lord got a hold of me my sophomore year. Um, I got, I obviously, I gave my heart to Jesus and then um, became a smart group leader. And around that time, I got called into missions. I was uh, coming to a Thursday night service. The night before, I had a dream about a man smoking a cigarette, wearing a turban. And when a certain missionary came and spoke, he laid down the pamphlet, and that guy was on the pamphlet. And so I knew right then and there, God, you're calling me to missions, but even more, you're calling me to the Middle East to reach Muslims. Um, so yeah, that kind of goes where I am, and then my wife will pick it up from here. Hey. Um, so, who has already heard us speak, either on campus or at small groups? Cool. Okay, so y'all kind of know our story. For those who haven't, um, so I grew up in an assembly, uh, or a Christian family who um, really did love the Lord. Uh, it wasn't just like Easter, Christmas, 
like they legit anytime the doors are open we were there and i'm super grateful for that um and i got called into missions at the age of 10 uh listening to missionaries share their story and just felt like a click in my spirit like that's what i'm going to do and i went to sam houston uh got involved in chi alpha uh my cousin uh, has he been here so my cousin cousin kenan briggs they're in greece so uh he was at Sam, and then my sister, who's a year younger, uh, she and her husband are missionaries to Lithuania, planting Kaiafas. Um, also went to Sam and got involved with Kaiafa, and I was like, I would go there during high school. I'd drive up and visit, stay the weekend, and just hang out with these like awesome Kaiafa people. And I was like, I don't care. I'm a, I don't care what other schools have to offer. This one has Kaiafa. And so I went there, got involved, uh, learned to have how to have um, a pursuing walk with Jesus, um, reading old dead guys, and just the works. So super grateful for that. Um, and it was there the Lord reaffirmed that call to missions, um, went on short-term trips just like this, just went in, put my application in. I was like, Lord, I just want to go. I don't even care where. I don't care where. I just want to go. And um, so... Thank you, Jesus, for Chi Alpha. So to get started, we're going to be reading in Acts 16, 6 through 40. While you're turning to that, um, here's a bit of background on the text. Timothy, Paul, and Silas are currently traveling and preaching down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Luke eventually joins them, and the Lord is directing them as a team. Sorry, I'm pregnant, so I have to take breathing breaks. <laughs> okay, so first off, let's read verse 6 through 10. Y'all ready? Yeah. All right. And they went through the region... Oh, I should have looked up the, how to pronounce these. Um, <laughs> I really meant to look up the pronunciation. Uh-huh. I learned, I know Arabic, not Greek. Um, <laughs> Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak, in the, uh, speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Tros, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. First off, if you think geographically, going <laughs> from... Uh, Phrygia, Galatia, and the Holy Spirit saying no, and then to Mysia, and the Holy Spirit saying no. <laughs> like, they're not driving, they're not flying. They go all that way, and the Holy Spirit says no. Were they frustrated? Were they, were they tired? Were they exhausted? Were they like, okay, I give up, I'm turning back home? There are some definite no's, and the Lord's stopping them. How do we react when the Lord says no? in our lives? Is it a no because we did the wrong thing? Or is it a no because he's character building, he's working on us, and he just wants us, he's, he's not ready for us to be somewhere yet. There's like something along the way that we need to learn. So 
Okay, the Lord can and will change our plans as evidence in verse 6. Paul and his team were trying to get into Asia, but the Lord delayed and said he wouldn't allow it. Sometimes the Lord puts us in a season and we, need, and we tend to be discontent. And instead of being present and active in the now, we are dreamily looking ahead. Once I became, become a small group leader, then I will abide. Or once I become a small group leader, I'll learn to worship. I'll learn to lead worship. I'll make these insane lessons and everybody will get saved. But there's that once future tense. We must learn the art of being present and intentional in the now. Abide now. Learn to worship now. Write out those killer lessons now. Why not? Is the Lord only able to use those with titles? Are you putting limits on the Lord's influence through your neglect? You are valued and you are an asset to the kingdom of God now. Simply allow the Lord to use you where you are, in the classroom, on the campus, in your workplace, with your fellow small group members and leaders. I must say, if you aren't a soul winner for Christ now, then when you get to a leadership role, or go on a missions trip, or become a missionary even, getting on that plane won't change that. Getting into that role won't change a thing. You will be the same dreamy, eager for the next step person, you must be responsible with the knowledge that you have now. Luke 16.10, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. Take ownership of the knowledge that you have been so freely given and use it to glorify the Lord. And watch, just watch, what the Lord will do in and through you. Later in verse 9 through 10, let's read that again. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Just Briefing. <laughs> we see that Paul receives a vision from the Lord to go to Macedonia, which means he, he isn't going into Asia anymore. Rather, he's going into Europe. It then says he got his companions together and they confirmed this. It's a great example of why missions should be done in teams and why having community, Kaiapha, <laughs> to help you discern what the Lord wants is so important. Small group is a beautiful thing. Brotherhood, sisterhood, lean on one another, be vulnerable with the good and the bad, know each other, pray for and with one another, speak into each other's lives. Paul's companions were able to confirm the direction of the Lord because they already had relationship with the Lord and with Paul. We must be intentional now so we're ready for whenever the trials and or transitions happen. Okay, so Cody's going to read on 11 through 15. All right, um, that's for you guys. All right, 11 through 15, let's go on. Um, so setting sail for Traos, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following, and the following day to Napoleus. And from there, Philippi, which is leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who came together, who come together, sorry, who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyteria, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, 
and our household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed among us. So let's kind of review that a little bit. That's a lot. Um, so we meet a woman named Lydia. She's a businesswoman, which in that time was a little bit rare. Um, and she was very successful at it. Obviously, she had a home. Her family lived with her. So she was obviously doing well for herself. She lives in a Roman colony, and it's one of the and it has it's one of the few towns where a synagogue isn't present. This is we know this because the, they were there praying. Um, unfortunately, back in the day when synagogues were present, women couldn't be in the synagogue praying. So um, she lived in a colon, uh, Roman colony where there was no synagogue. Um, so she was allowed in a what they call a proche, which is basically a place where you a prayer. So anyone's allowed to come in. Um, if a town didn't have a synagogue, they had this certain thing, and then you, anyone's allowed to come in and pray. This means the Lord sent Paul and his team to this location, knowing this woman would be here and have the opportunity to hear. Talk about divine appointment. Because of Paul and his team's obedience to the vision from God, they were able to meet Lydia. Which takes us to our next point. Someone is always waiting on the other side of your obedience. Or, as Brother Andrew says, Lord, as I stand from this place, and as I take my first step forward, would you consider this a step toward complete obedience to you? I'll call it my step of yes. When we arrived, um, so before, we're, before, obviously we're going to Israel now, we were in Jordan for a couple of years, part of the Live Dead training team, learning Arabic culture, and I had a church plant amongst Muslims. We were there for two years, um, and when we first got there, we were eager and gun hole and ready to go. The next day after our plane arrived, we all woke up, and um, another missionary had told me, hey, all the young guys hang out in this like salon area. So I was like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to go try to find a salon, because that's where, uh, it's basically a barber shop, but they call it salons. So, okay, I'll go try to find a salon. I left, two things. One, I don't know any of their language. I just speak English, and they don't speak English. And two, I had no idea where I was, so I got lost really quickly, and I couldn't find my way back home. But anyway, I said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to keep going. So um, I just started looking around. I'm like, okay, I just need to find a building with some scissors. Scissors, scissors, scissors. So I, I finally arrive. Um, there's this really old man, and I'm like, oh, dang it. He's going to mess it up, but it's okay. Uh, so I go in and um, come to find out this guy's from Syria. He was a refugee who fled during when things started getting bad. And he started this barbershop to support his family. I didn't know that back then, but, you know, that's just what, what was happening. Um, so as soon as I arrived, I noticed a problem as well. Not only did I not speak the language, but I had no idea what I wanted my haircut to be. So who has good hair? Brad Pitt. Can I get an amen? Praise God. Um, so anyway, uh, we had data on our phone, so I was like, Brad Pitt has great hair. I'm going to look at Brad Pitt. I can't tell him what I want to look like, but Brad Pitt can. So, you know, flipping through my phone, you know, looking for it. Well, what I didn't know was there was a man sitting in the, the chair right there getting his hair cut. There's two young guys uh, in the waiting waitings. And uh, what, I mean, what I mean by building, it's the, the width of, the sta of the, where the stairs end and begin right here. It comes out to here. It's a tiny building, man. I mean, something like a like what we consider like a walk-in closet. I mean, it's it's tiny. So um, I walked in. I said, oh, I got plenty of time. This guy's gonna here. There's two here, no problem. Well, I'm sitting down for maybe a minute or two. And that guy's done. And what I didn't know was that in the Arab culture, the foreigner gets right away. So they're like, 
And everybody, they're telling me, come on, come on, you can come, come, come get your haircut. Come on, it's your turn. Da, 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 please honor us. So I'm like, oh, God, I'm so nervous now. Oh, Brad Pitt, don't fail me. Come on, yeah. Just looking through, you know, come on, Fury. No, it's a little, it's a little too extreme. I don't know. Um, anyway, so looking through, I, I get up to the chair and I find a picture and I'm like, oh, dude, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know what to say. So I'm just doing this and this old guy's like, oh, okay. You know, like, I got it, bro, no problem. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm like, oh, no, he's going to screw it up. And from behind me, I hear, hey, bro, need some help? Jesus is speaking. Um, it wasn't Jesus. He does speak to us, but he didn't, he usually doesn't say bro. But anyway, um, it was a guy named um, Yahya, which in Arabic means John. But he didn't like that name. He thought it was too white. So he went by Jack. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, anyway, Jack was a young man. He was uh, in his early 20s. He was at university there in Jordan. Um, and he, he was part of a prominent and, and wealthy family there in Jordan. His last name was Majda, which is, uh, and I didn't mean to squeak there, was, uh, <laughs> he was a young man. His last name was Majda. And he, uh, his family had money. So they were able to put him in private schools, British consulates that could teach him English. And then he watched a lot of American movies, and that's where he got bro and stuff. So um, anyway, he spoke, he was fluent in English. It was fantastic. So we, I was like, wow, who are you? Where'd you come from? Um, anyway, so we began talking, and, and the Lord, you know, just worked there. I mean, talk about divine appointment. I walked in, didn't even know where this place was, didn't know where I was at all. And somehow this guy was here. He spoke English, and we just kicked it off. So uh, he said, hey, are you Christian? Oh, no, actually, I'm sorry. He said, hey, are you Muslim? Because they're thinking, you're either here for tourism or you're here because you're Muslim, you convert, and you just want to learn about our culture. I said, well, I'm not a tourist, and no, I'm not Muslim. I'm Christian. So he's like, oh, tell me, okay, let's talk about it. So you know, we talk about it, and, and I, uh, I download a Bible app on his phone, and I'm like, hey, bro, you need to read this. I've read your Quran. Don't recommend that, but I've read your Quran in English, whatever. Um, I'm telling you, there's a lot of differences. We can talk about it later. So a month goes by, we meet up again, we get coffee. A couple months go by, we meet up again, coffee. Eight or nine months down the road, by this time we're set up, we have an apartment, we're in language school. We basically know how, how to say, how are you, I want, and where, where's the restroom? Um, but we're kicking it, we're going. And um, anyway, so we set up on the street. Um, Kafar Qasim is the name, and we're at the very end of the street right here in this apartment. Well, his family owns a building at the end of the street that he lives in. Wow. So I live on the same street. That's incredible. In a, in a population in 9 million city, live on the same street. So, um, so, you know, we're hanging out and stuff constantly. Well, one night he calls me and he says, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Can you come over? Don't go through the front. Come to the back. I got coffee waiting on you. Don't say hi to anybody. Just kind of sneak in. Very strange in their culture, okay? In their culture, when you, when you go inside someone's home, similar to our culture, but even more extreme, you say hi to everybody. And you start with the oldest male, and you work all the way you're down. So this was very weird. I was, it was cultural taboo, what he was asking of me, but I did it anyway. So I said, okay, something's going down. I don't know what it is. Don't kill me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I walked to the back. That was just a joke, by the way. That was a joke. I could have taken me scrawny. Um, I walked to the back. <laughs> Uh, I'm full of jokes tonight. I walked to the back, and um, he says, hey, I, seriously, I want to 
want to talk to you. I've been reading the Bible that you gave, uh, you downloaded for me, and uh, I've been reading the Quran, and we've been kind of wrestling over this. There's two things I've noticed. One in the Quran, and I don't. Some of you might know this, but in the Quran, the Prophet Muhammad and Allah, the, the the Quran talks about how the a person needs to do enough good deeds in order to outweigh the bad. So it's a, it's a scale system, a judgment system. Okay. So if you do enough good deeds, you get in heaven. And then he says, but I've also read that God can pluck you out of heaven at any point. Just like he can pluck someone out of hell at any point and switch them. So he goes, I, I, I've realized that I ha there's no guarantee. And that's also why there's a lot of suicide, suicide bombings in Islam because that is the only guarantee that if you give your life up, for the cause that uh, God will let you stay in heaven. So, um, so he says, wow, I read that. I don't know about that. But then I read the Bible. And it talks about how Jesus, uh, God just doesn't, just doesn't want us to live. And he came down to be with us. He gave up heaven to be with us, to suffer with us, and to die for us. Wow. So he loves us. I said, yeah. So one God wants me to work really hard and then fire me. The other one wants me to do, oh, I can't do anything, and he wants to love me. I choose Christianity. So we prayed for salvation right then and there. That is eight months in. All of that because of that one night when that pamphlet got laid down on my feet, I said, yes, Lord, I'll go. Now Jack is in the uh, national church there. He works with the youth. He got his mama Bible. She was Muslim. She saved. Work on his dad right now. Come on, man. His dad's an ambassador for the government. Lord. Oh, come on. I mean, you heard my jokes. You know they ain't. Okay. Anyway, um, let's jump back into the text. I'm going to reread. Uh, I want to jump to verse 14. Oh, my phone booed me out. Sorry. Um, at verse 14, it says, I'm going to reread it just because it's been a while. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of... Thyteria, I don't know, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to that was said by Paul. In verse 14, we learn that Lydia was, a, oh, I'm sorry, I'm rereading. So we learn that she was a businesswoman and who was seeking after God. She most likely came to this place as a prayer in hopes of growing closer to him. So she knew there was a God. She wanted to grow closer. She didn't know how to do it. So she came and she said, Lord, I'm here. Help me. Da, da, da. Okay. And not knowing that God was going to answer her prayers that day, she gives her heart to Jesus. The Bible says she opened her heart. So an open heart, but then it says her entire house was baptized and she opened her home to the disciples. So an open heart led to an open home. That's a two-part equation. It'll be a three-part here in a little while. So far as we see, there's two parts to the equation. An open heart leads to multiple disciples coming to faith through an open home. A lot of us can contest to that. However, God isn't done and is going to show us that walking with him doesn't mean we will always be safe, but it does mean that he is always good. Okay. Verse 16-24. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gained by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here we learn two ways in which Satan can interrupt us or throw off the path of our calling. The first is alliance. The second is persecution. Alliance. He will try and align his ways with your convictions. Satan will try and align his ways with your convictions. For example, the woman proclaiming wasn't doing it for the glory of God, but rather for a selfish glory. She wanted to gain attention so she could increase her fortune-telling business. A practical example is this. Going out and building a small group so that you can seem like a mighty man or woman of God, but your heart is on how you are perceived and not Jesus. Unfortunately, this happens more often than you would, you would think. Satan slowly prevents godly conviction and creeps into our hearts until one day we aren't really even walking with Jesus anymore. We get so busy building our own kingdom that we lose sight of his. But may we ever be aware of, God, of building God's kingdom in humility and not our own. May we align ourselves with Christ die to ourselves daily, daily renew our zeal by abiding and being with community. May we speak into each other's lives over my dead body while it's you live a stupid life. You have the authority to speak into each other's lives. And I pray that we never put our friendship over someone's eternity. I'm looking at the women. Y'all too. Okay, persecution. <laughs> Essentially, beating us spiritually into submission. Jesus isn't safe, but he is good. Persecution will come, and some, some people, uh, some leaders, some, some church elders even, some people outside of the church, like your parents, uh, they may think that if you're being persecuted, it's because that you aren't walking with Jesus, and that is not true. Um, often it is the one who is not walking Jesus that does not experience persecution. The devil tends to ignore those that are making little noise for the kingdom of God. And he tends to bother those that are making some noise. So make some noise. You have community to help you, to, that you can lean on during persecution. And just like I mentioned earlier, it wasn't because um, like Paul's companions weren't able to speak into his life because of the, the, the transition that was happening, they were able to speak into his life because they already had relationship with him for whenever that time came. I think y'all got that point, right? Okay. Okay. Verses 25 through 34. Okay. So, um, this is the, we're at the tail end here. Um, this is where you're going to see, you're like, what? These are good nuggets, but this isn't really missional. We're about to get to that. All right. We're going to see what happened to Lydia. So verses 25 through 34. It says, 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all to who were in his house. And he took them to the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So as Paul was in jail, he knew these things to be true. The enemy was out to stop him, but he also knew that Jesus can take an obedient heart and do mighty things for the kingdom. Many times I have heard that the earthquake God used to free Paul was the miracle. But if you believe that, then you have completely missed it. The miracle is God using the earthquake to free the jailer. God was willing to shake the earth for one soul. Imagine what he could do for the billions of lost people around the world. So here's the big picture of what God did through these encounters. He used his, this woman, Lydia, and the jailer to open the gospel in Europe. He used Lydia to start a church in Philippi, we read later, that would eventually spread throughout the entire European continent. Europe obviously isn't um, pagan or Greek now, is it? it? Has a history. So an open heart, one single soul, led to an open home, a small group, that led to an open continent. Jesus used one missionary slash Margaret leader to completely change the eternity destination of an entire continent. Worship team, if you don't mind, someone just come. Imagine what he could do for this campus if all of us in this room were to fight for them. Imagine what God could do amongst the Jews, the people group we're going to, that I don't have a believer amongst them. If a few were to take the step of obedience, imagine what God could do with the loss of the world if we as a body took the step of obedience and said, yes, Lord, whatever you will have, I will do. What if I told you that the great commandment was just that in Matthew 28? What if I told you it was a command to go? That can only mean one thing. You'd have to be called to stay. My family and I are head to a people group, like I said, the Druze. Um, for the last 500 years, they've never been reached with the gospel. They're a sect of Islam, a branch, and they, uh, they're up in the mountains in Israel, on Mount Carmel, where Elijah caught on fire. Um, they're not a single believer amongst them, not a church. No foreigner setting foot in those mountains for 500 years. They have no access to the gospel. my heart we're gonna go we're gonna plant the church 
And I don't mean um, a building. I don't mean, this is beautiful, but I don't mean this. What I mean is house churches. We're going to start small groups. We're going to take what we learned at Chi Alpha and we're going to replicate it, not on a university campus, but in a village, in a mountain range in Israel, amongst the unreached people group. We can't be trained better for that. <laughs> but here's the reality. It's just us. It's me, my wife, and our two kids. Calvary's not coming. I just want to say one thing. Please come with us. <laughs> it's an open invitation. It's an open invitation. It's a big ask. It is. It's a big ask to give up things we love here in America. It's a big ask to go on these these trips here. Um, you have to you have to raise some money. Might have to hurt some feelings. To give up weeks at a time, comfortabilities, things of that nature, sweat and tear. But you see, we fail to realize that the Bible is mission. See what I'm saying? The Bible itself, the heartbeat of Christ is missions. Because we read that if that Jesus came down, he was the first missionary. He left his home. He left heaven to fight for us. Sometimes we just, we don't even want to go next door. We don't want to go speak up in class. We don't want to take up the responsibility or the mantle to be a smart leader. God help us, you know? God help us. So as we're strumming, I just kind of, I want you to think about this, okay? Here's some crazy statistics. Earlier when we were praying for a service, Robin mentioned, Lord, I, I just pray that everyone would hear so you'd come back. You ready for what we have to do before There's almost 8 billion people on this planet. Some of you have heard this before. About 3.5 billion of them are, are completely unreached. That means 40% of the population of planet Earth has net to hear the gospel. We've got a lot of work to do. But here's the good news. Back in this day, one saved person to the amount that were unsaved ratio wise was one in 23. Now it's one in three. Man, what if, what if we just said, yes, Lord? What if in this room, this particular Kafa, Texas Tech said, yes, God? Your heart said, yes. What if Sam Houston, yes, Lord? This church, yes, Lord. A third of our church were to go, we'd be done. Jesus can come back. We'll be done. But it's that step of yes. It's that step of saying, Lord, I'll, 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 whatever you have, I'll do. I think, okay. So tonight, I, I'm going to leave it to you. The altars are open. What I want to do is I want you to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what, you, what would you have of me? be long-term mission, short-term mission. You know, if you've never been overseas, pray that God would do something here. Lord, would you have me go to West Texas? Would you have me go to RUI? Would you have me go to Chile? Would you have me go, God? 
because you've commanded me to, so I guess I should. But some of you, I'm going to ask a greater step of faith. Lord, would you have me give my life for your kingdom? God, would you have me go overseas full time? Not just for a two-week trip, not even for a few months. Until I'm old, I don't look good in the mirror. God, would you have me go? Would you have me go with us, the Millers? Would you, God, would you? Are you calling me to, to be a part of what they're doing? God, are you calling me to Chile with the Renfros? God, are you calling me to, to go see Austin and Amy in the Netherlands? Spoke here last week. I think people are called. I think people in this room right now, sitting in this room, all of you are game changers, life changers, world changers. I think I think there's some people in this room that just need an answer. So the altars are open. I'd be glad to pray for you. Um, if you have any questions, come ask. We love you guys. We're so grateful. So I'm going to start off in prayer, and then I'm just going to leave it open. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing here on this campus, God. That Lord, that you have given us a clear view of what it looks like to walk with you, God. That you've you tore that veil when you you died on that cross, God, so that we don't have to go into a holy place. God. We can talk to you in our rooms. We can talk to you while we're walking this class, God. We can talk to you in our cars. Thank you, Jesus, that God, that you're a personal God, the one that's standing right next to us or sitting right next to us now. You're in this room. And Jesus, I pray, God, that you begin tugging on hearts, Jesus. I pray, God, that you give clarity to those that need to, God, and I pray, God, that you would burden those that, Jesus, that don't quite have the burden yet, Lord, for the lost. God, we read in your word, God, that it just took one to reach a continent. What could a hundred people do on a campus? Lord, only you know that. What can two or three families do in an area where it's hostile, where there is no gospel, God? Only you know that, but Lord, we we know, God, it's going to be good. Lord, we trust you. We know not, it's not easy, but it's fun to walk with you, and we're grateful for that. Lord, I just pray that you would renew our hearts and minds today, God. And Jesus, I pray, God, just showering a blessing over these students, Jesus, over the next few weeks, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Texas Tech Chi Alpha. For more information, you can visit our website at ttuxa.org. Baby.